Samuel's final sermon, public sermon. Good stuff that we're going to talk about this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Beginning verse 1 says, And Samuel said to all of Israel, Behold, I've obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or who have I defrauded? Who have I oppressed? Or from whom have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness that day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Israel and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asherah. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw the Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, come against you and said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But... If you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? And I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourself a king. And so Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sin this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. 
For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Father, we ask now, Lord, your blessing. We need grace. We need grace to, to hear, to understand, but we certainly need grace to do. And Spirit, we pray that you would work freely in our hearts, that we would be humble before you now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we dive into chapter 12, Israel, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, is gathered at Gilgal. Uh, they have just had victory over Nahash, the, the nasty. He was that Ammonite king who came and went against Jabesh Gilead, and they, they sought somebody to help, and, and God, his spirit, came into Saul, the newly anointed king, and he led Israel in a battle against Jabesh Gilead. And after that battle is over, uh, Israel makes their way south uh, to Gilgal. Gilgal has some history. Why Gilgal? Because it was a place of remembrance. It was a place where they stacked the 12 stones after they had been led across the Jordan River on dry ground. Gilgal was a place of consecration because it was the place where they were circumcised before they moved into the promised land. It was a place where they turned the page into a new chapter of their history. Last time they gathered here, they were about to move into the promised land, and a new chapter is about to take place because Samuel says, I'm retiring. I'm not going to be the judge anymore. I'm not going to be your military leader anymore. He will continue to be a prophet. Uh, you can't live that one out. And so he's going to continue to prophesy. We'll see his name pop up a little bit here and there. But he says, I'm done. You now have a king to lead you in those ways. But he has some closing words that he wants to say. Samuel does not go silently into the night. He has one last sermon in him that he wants to deliver to his people. And he begins in verse 1 by really recounting three particular things of his own story. First of all, he reminds them that when they asked for a king, he obeyed their voice. He actually obeyed Yahweh's voice. Yahweh said, well, give him a king. And he just reminds them that you're the ones who asked for the king, and I gave you the king, gave you the king you wanted. Saul is the king. Second thing he reminds them of is that he has served Yahweh with faithfulness from his childhood. If you remember his story, that's how this book, 1 Samuel, begins. His mom dropped him off at the tabernacle with Eli when he was just weaned, a young boy, and he has served Yahweh, he has served Israel faithfully for his whole life. Now he says, I'm old and I'm gray, I'm nearing death, and I have served with faithfulness. But he also wants to remind him I've served with integrity. So he asks him the questions that he asks. Verse 3, Here am I testify against me before the Lord and before the anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Who have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe that I could blind my eyes with? And he says, testify against me. Does anybody have any dirt on me? <laughs> and unlike so many who we've already studied who have abused their power, and their position, Samuel says, I've never done that to you. I've never defrauded you in those ways. This sets up a pretty stark contrast with what's coming. Because the kings of Israel, they will defraud the people. 
They will abuse their power, and they will abuse their position. Even the one that we all love, we love King David. He abuses his power. He abuses his position on multiple occasions. Samuel says, I've never done that to you. To this claim, the people wholeheartedly agree. You've never defrauded. You've never uh, oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. God is witness between these things. And I just want to make a small point right here. That's the life we should strive to live, right? A life of integrity. Here's the way Paul puts it when he's writing in 1 Timothy chapter 3 about the qualifications for those who would serve as an elder. What's the very first one? You should be above reproach blameless. We should try to live a life that when people want to make any accusation against us, they can't find any dirt on us. We're not defrauding people. We're not abusing our position. That's what we're striving to do. That's the way in which Jesus lived. I I thought it was comical as I was thinking through this. You remember even in his trial, it's not necessarily a comedic scene, but they're trying to get people to, to witness against him, but they can't get any two witnesses to collaborate. They're saying, well, I saw him do this, or I, I saw him do that, but they, they don't have any dirt on him. There's nothing they can accuse him of because Jesus lived a blameless, reproach, unreproachable life. And so with that, that seal as God is their witness, Samuel has lived a life of integrity. He now turns from defendant to prosecutor. And he wants to speak to the people directly. And that's what we find in verses 16, or 6 through 18. And he begins by reminding them of their own history. He takes them back to Egypt. And he says, this is really where most of this begins. Uh, The God, our God, Yahweh, the God of Jacob, he delivered you from the Egyptian oppression. When your fathers began to cry out, he heard and he had mercy And he raised up Moses, and he raised up Aaron to free you. And what happened? They quickly forgot the Lord, their God. I mean, they didn't even make it to Sinai. And they were already building the golden calf, and they were already worshiping the golden calf. They forgot the Lord, their God. And as a result of that, that happened time and time again, oppressors came into their life. He names three. He talks about Sisera of Hazor from the book of Judges. He talks about the Philistines that have come up multiple times, Moab that's come up multiple times. And he just provides a sampling of those oppressors that have been in their history. We've talked about so many of them this year. He could go on and on and on and talk about the times that they have continued to forget the Lord. Their story is like a broken record, isn't it? And it repeats over and over again. Yahweh, save us. Okay, I'll save you. Uh, We'll never forget you. We forgot you. Yahweh, save us. We'll never forget you. Over and over and over again. And if we're honest, that's not just their story. That's our story. I do that on a weekly basis, a daily basis, sometimes minute by minute. I forget Verse 10, he recounts then their past repentance and how they would cry out and say, we've sinned, we've forsaken the Lord, we've gone after the other gods, please deliver us. And as a result of the repentance, uh, Samuel recounts how he would raise up deliverers for them, saviors to come. Jerubbabel is the first one he mentions. Anybody remember his other name? This is, this is Gideon. Remember he got that name because he pulled down the, the statue of Baal. Uh, in his dad's front yard, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel names himself. And then he goes into the most recent event, which we talked about two weeks ago with Nahash, the nasty, 
And Samuel implores them to remember, when you saw the threat, when you saw the threat of Nahash, instead of turning to Yahweh, who has been faithful time and time and time and time again to deliver you, you said, Yahweh won't do this time. We need a king. We need somebody else to step in to deliver. We want to be like the other nations. And in that decision, what are they doing? It's not just simply, hey, we want a different style of government. They're saying, Yahweh, we don't trust you enough to handle this. We need one of our own. We need a human being to deliver us and to lead us. It's another rejection. They're not going after another uh, stone statue or false god at this point. They're going after another human at this point. Some, in some ways, it's quite even more of a digression. And they're rejecting Yahweh in that moment. But despite, despite the rejection, it says so much about the character of our God. He graciously gives them a king. And he graciously empowers that king to defeat Nahash. He could have just said, well, let's see how this plays out. But he doesn't. He loves his people. He's covenanted with his people. And even in that point of rejection, he continues to love his people. And so that catches us up with all the history. And then Samuel drops the hammer in verses 15, 14 and 15. I'm going to read those again. He says this, If you will then fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against his commandments, and if you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, it's going to be great. Things will be well with you. But if you do not obey, if you do not follow the commandments, you rebel against Yahweh, then the hand of Yahweh will be against you. You will suffer greatly. Now Samuel knows from many years of experience in preaching messages to Israel that he can lay out a solid case he can have a really well-scripted sermon that is reasonable and, and logical, and still yet, the people, they won't hear it. It's going to go uh, right over their heads, and they're going to think, you're talking about that guy over there? You're, surely you're not talking about me, Samuel. They're just not going to make the connection. They're pretty thick-headed like all of us tend to be from time to time. And so what does he do? He wants to make sure that, 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 that he sticks the landing, that the point is made, and so how does he go about that? Notice verse 16 and 17. He says, Now therefore stand still and see the great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? And I'm going to call on the Lord and he will send thunder and rain and you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you've done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourself a king. So today, to make points, sometimes we try to draw in lights and emotional music and all sorts of different things so that we can make the point and make it land and stick the landing, but not Samuel. Um, he calls on the Lord in the harvest season when rain was absolutely scarce. He says, Lord, will you bring a, a thunderstorm right here? And so lightning starts cracking all around him. It starts raining. Now, I don't think that's very fair as a pastor. 
Like, I can't do that. Like, I wish I could say, I really want to make this point this morning, so we need a tornado, or we need something to happen that will, that will draw some attention to you so that you'll get it. But, but Samuel has the ability to do that, and so it begins to storm, and it begins to rain during the harvest season, and in this moment, Yahweh gets Israel's attention. And every parent in this room knows that there's certain situations where you have to raise your voice, right? Uh, Your kid's doing something that they're not supposed to do, and you you have to take the level up a little bit and try to get their attention. If you have to, you go to the next step and say their first name and their last name, and if all else fails, you add in the middle name. That was the the final stage in my home, Joshua Lynn Matthews, and I knew I need to pay attention. Yahweh, he raised his voice. And he's got all the names included here. He's trying to get them to understand the significance of the situation. And Israel responds. They respond. They see the reality of the rebellion. They see for the first time, that was pretty dumb to ask for a king. We had Yahweh all along. We didn't need Saul but here we are. So, so in verse 19, they plead with Samuel, and they say, pray, please pray for us so that we don't die. They recognize that their whole existence in this moment is founded upon the grace and the mercy of Yahweh. Every breath they breathe. And finally they get it, and man, does Samuel ever rub it in. I mean, he says, you wicked sinners. You boneheads, I've been telling you for years, years and years, sermon after sermon, you need to repent and you wouldn't listen to me. Just call me some crazy old man. Now, there may have been a split second where he he thought he wanted to respond that way, but that's not how he responded at all. Samuel, like Yahweh, is very gracious in his response to these repentant people. He doesn't play the part of Job's friends and kick them while they're down, but he moves to encourage them. And I want to look for the rest of the time we have together this morning at those words of encouragement that he shares with them. What does he say? Because I am wholeheartedly convinced that there's many in this room that need to hear these words of encouragement. Because some of you are no doubt like Israel. You're frustrated with your struggle against sin. Maybe you're frustrated because there's not even a struggle involved. (laughs) And you, you feel the, the burning inside of you. You know that what you're doing is a rejection of Christ, his rule in your life. You're just simply living the way that you want to live. I'll do what I want to do. I don't need somebody else telling me what to do. And you go back and forth between your sins. Some, it may be going back to pornography, back to fear, back to anxiety, I mean, you hear the scriptures that say, don't be anxious for anything, but following, a quote from last Sunday's sermon that I didn't preach, but following your emotions seems a better choice than trusting in the promises of the God who's been faithful time and time again. Some of you keep going back to anger. You keep going back to bitterness and hatred, racism, sexism, You say unkind and hurtful things. You speak slanderously to other people. Maybe it's it's doubt, and you know that the list could continue to go on and on. Whatever the sin, we can relate to Israel in this moment. Yahweh's judgment may be thundering in your own heart this morning, and you feel it. 
And so listen to Samuel's response. The first thing he says to him is this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now that's a funny thing to say after lightning bolts were striking around you. Some of them have probably wet themselves a little bit and they're thinking, well, well now you tell us don't be afraid. They've just been terrorized by the judgment of God by this particular scene. Don't be afraid. I think so often those words that we, that we hear quite often throughout the, the span of scriptures, sometimes they mean very little to us. Sometimes, like I was talking about a while ago, they just, they don't land in our lives. But we have to put ourselves in the sandals of the Israelites in their particular circumstances. They've just been besieged by the power of Yahweh. His, his judgment has been spoken upon them. And they thought, we're done. We're over. I mean, they say, Samuel, please pray for us so that we don't, we don't die. That's what they're saying. And the first thing they hear from Yahweh's prophet, which you could basically say it this way, the first thing they hear from Yahweh after this experience is, do not be afraid. How comforting is that? Mark 6, the disciples on the boat. Middle of the night, Sea of Galilee. Storm comes. They're fearful for their lives at that point. Well, then this strange person comes walking up on the water and they are terrified now. And what's, what does Jesus speak to them? Do not be afraid. And the storm ceases. When we hear those words sometimes, it's easy for us to forget the true source of those words. That's what I so appreciated about Bill's message last week. We forget the promiser of the promise. We forget his faithfulness to his people. These are not the words of Samuel. These are words that I often say to, to many people as they're moving through a difficult circumstances. I say, don't be afraid, but, but I hope you never take that as, as my words. Those are the words of our Savior. These are the words of Yahweh. And we have to consider the source. The next thing he says to him is this, you gotta repent. He doesn't say it in that one word, but he fleshes it out in verse 20. He says, turn from your evil, follow the Lord, serve him with all your heart. And then I love what he says next. He says, the things of the world are empty. They will not profit you. They won't deliver you. I mean, does your anger fulfill you? Never. There's never an end to it. It only continues to grow and, and like cancer, it burns inside and it demands more. The same could be said of, of, of lust-filled activity, pornography, so on and so forth. Repentance then is turning from those sins and saying these things are empty, these things don't satisfy. What will satisfy? Only, only Christ. Only He brings true satisfaction. And all of this that he said so far is really based on this promise that verse 22 speaks of, this promise that's been repeated over and over again as we started in Joshua in March, the promise that, that Bill encouraged you with last Sunday, and that's this, that Yahweh will never forsake his people. Never. Why? I love what Samuel says. He explains it a little bit further than some others do. He says, for the sake of his great name. 
His reputation's at stake. It has pleased him to make a people for himself. And he will not forsake his people. As we've sang uh, recently, never once did they ever walk alone. Never once did he leave them on their own. He's remained faithful even through all of their faithlessness time and time again. Think back through all of the chapters, all of the books, all of the stories, all of the, the characters that we've studied, and that has been the resounding theme. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, now 1 Samuel. He, Yahweh, is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. That will continue to be a theme throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. It continues to be a theme through all of the New Testament. It continues to be a theme in our lives, and it will continue to be the theme for all of eternity. The great faithfulness of this God. Paul states it this way in the New Testament, one of my favorite verses. It's just this, Philippians 1.6. He who has begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. He's not going to start something like so many of us do and not finish it. He continues the work that he started. Why? Based upon what? His faithfulness. His faithfulness. I like what Samuel does next. He offers his own encouragement, personal encouragement. And he says, I will not sin ceasing to pray for you and to give instruction to you. Samuel says, just, just like Yahweh will not abandon you, I'm not going to abandon you either. Just like Yahweh loves you, I love you too. And I want to continue to invest in your life. Samuel refuses to abandon him, like, like Moses so often. I love those stories where Moses and the people are whining and, and God opens up the ground, swallows them, or sends plague to, to kill him. All these things. You, what does Moses do in those situations? He runs into the middle of the people and he begins to intercede for them. He pleads that Yahweh would show grace and mercy. He reminds Yahweh of his faithfulness. That's what Samuel does. He's like, I'm not going to stop praying for you. I'm not going to stop uh, ministering in your life. I'm, I'm going to go to the mat for you. And we should be willing to go to the mat for each other. We should fall on our faces pleading for God's grace, pleading for God's mercy in the lives of the people that are around us, even in this room this morning. We too should be willing to, to step into each other's lives and encourage one another when we see somebody straying, making unwise choices in their life. We need to be willing to step in and say, this is what is right, this is what is wrong, this is what God says, this is obedience, this is disobedience. That's what we're called to do. We're all prophets and priests. And we're meant to speak into each other's lives. And it then calls on them to remember the great things that Yahweh has done for them. I love this. Verse 24 reads this way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Based upon what, Samuel? Why should we fear? Why should we serve him? And he says this. Considering what great things he's done for you. That's, right. That's why they're at Gilgal. Gilgal is a place where they consider the great things he's done for them. I don't know if those 12 stones were still stacked there, but it was the place where they were stacked. 
A few weeks ago, we, we were looking at, at chapter 7 here in 1 Samuel, and this is where Samuel raises that rock of remembrance, the Ebenezer. And, and what does he say in conjunction with it? Until now, the Lord has been our helper. He's walked us through everything that we've needed to walk through. He's been with us every step of the way. I, I just want to share with you, for those of you who were last week, you, you know that uh, Bill spoke on Hebrews uh, 13, and the, the Lord is our helper is, is a statement that's made in that based upon his promise that he's made. And I, I talked to him about speaking here uh, several months ago, and he said, is there anything particular? And I said, I, I don't really know. Let me think about it. And so I called him a few weeks ago, and I just said, hey, I wanted to touch base with you. I don't really know anything particular that I want you to speak about. Is there anything that's just been on your heart lately? And he said, Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. And I said, well, let me look at those. And I read that, and that very week I was preparing to preach on the Ebenezer, Samuel, who says, till now the Lord has been our helper. And I said, yep, that sounds pretty good. That's the way it works. God communing with his people. God knows what we need and how we need it. I look at those instances in my life, and I consider in that the great things that the Lord has done. He's the one who works all of these things together. Remembering the goodness, remembering the, the faithfulness of Yahweh and Christ is key to having a strong desire to follow and serve him. We don't just say, I just want to do this Jesus thing. Now you have to know what Jesus has done for you. You have to be embedded and founded on the gospel and the cross and the empty tomb. You have to know the history of Yahweh and his people so that you can pull from that because when you enter those trials, you, you need to, in the present, have the, the record of his faithfulness. It's why so many times in the Old Testament, what does it say? Remember, 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 remember what he's done. In the New Testament, what does he say? Be grateful, be thankful, recall these things to mind that he has done for you. I recently watched a, a, a couple episodes of this show on Netflix. It's a study on the brain. It's probably not even right, but I'm going to share it anyway because I thought it was very interesting. In the first one, they, uh, they interview these guys who who had traumatic brain injury, who had to have part of their brain removed, and it's the part where memory resides. And they were interviewing these people, and they were asking, you know, what'd you eat for breakfast? I don't know. What'd you do last night? I don't know. They had no memories. They had the ability to move through life and know that they needed to eat in the moment, but they had no recollection of their past up into that present moment. And the interesting thing they did is that they were questioning these guys who couldn't remember, and, and they began to ask them questions about the future. And they had no vision for the future. They had no hope for the future because they had no memories to base it on. And I sat there, and I was, I'd already been thinking through some of these things, and I thought, maybe that's why Yahweh says time and time again, you need to remember. Because if we don't remember the faithfulness of God, we will have no hope for the future. We'll have no vision for the present. We need to remember those things. 
That's why I'm excited. In a couple of weeks, we have our Thanksgiving service, and it's, it's one of my favorite services of the year, not, because, not just because there's like potluck dinner that follows. Uh, that's a good thing, too. But in that service, we give you opportunity to just share your memories, your gratitude, your thankfulness for what God has done in your life. So significant. And Samuel says, you've got to remember and consider all of the great things the Lord has done for you. So many times, that's what happens. All these prophets, they're just, they take them back to Exodus, right? They take them back to their deliverance because they've forgotten. We have to remember. Finally, Samuel ends with a warning. He goes out with a bang. He says, if you return to evil, you'll be swept away, both you and your king. And sadly, that is going to be the outcome for Saul, isn't it? We're not going to get to, to that part of the story. We'll talk about it a little bit next week. But Saul's kingdom is swept away, isn't it? It's stripped from him. God says, I found a man after my own heart. He's going to take the kingdom over from now. And in time, centuries will pass, but Israel will be swept away. The northern kingdom will be taken by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom, eventually by the Babylonians. Yet even through that, even through that, he's faithful. First, I kind of wanted to read a while ago, but I'll just mention at this point. When the Babylonians come in and they destroy the city of Jerusalem, it's not pretty. Jeremiah describes it in the book of Lamentations. It's a lament. It's a poem. And he talks about how what he sees is making him literally sick. He's throwing up. He sees dead babies and all sorts of destruction around. This is his hometown, and he can't take it. But it is in the middle of that, that poem. It's in the middle of the book of Lamentations that he makes this in, incredible declaration. And I'm just going to turn there so I don't butcher what he says. Lamentations chapter 3. He says, but this I call to mind. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says, I remember something in the middle of my pain and in the middle of the destruction. What does he remember? That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And that his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Samuel's sermon is jam-packed with reminders of, of many things that we've covered in this Old Testament series. And this Old Testament series is coming to a close in just a, in just a few weeks. And I think this is such a great fitting because it just reminds us of so many of the places we've been. So many of those things that we've looked at that we're not to be afraid. We're not to go after the empty and worthless idols that this world will put in front of us. We're to love Yahweh with all our heart. We're to serve Yahweh with all of our heart. We're to remember what he's done for us. And, and most of all, all of this really founded upon the truth that Yahweh says, I'll never abandon you. I will be faithful to you. So for the, the, the sinner that's here today and I don't say that in a demeaning way. I say that as a reference to describe everyone in this room. We're all sinners. 
Or for those of you who are particularly here today and, and maybe you've made confession or you're, you're ready to make confession uh, for, for the sins that you recognize in your life, for those things that you've gone after that they just haven't satisfied, those, those mirages that you thought was an oasis in the desert, but you just come up with a mouth of sand. I want you to listen to what Ralph Davis says. He says, do you see it? He's speaking of the text. He says, you don't go back and wallow in your guilt. He says, you don't relive the tragic mistake. Maybe it's, it's the big one that, that soured your life. You don't make yourself miserable by bathing your mind in the memory of your rebellion, punching the replay button and going over the whole messy episode in lurid and precise details as though that memory would make atonement. What does he say? He says this, no, you go forward. You go forward in basic, simple fidelity to Yahweh from that point on. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to hear what Israel needed to hear. Don't be afraid. There is forgiveness for our sins. You don't have to keep replaying the button. You don't have to atone and feel the guilt of your sin every day. The guilt has been taken by Christ on the cross. You have new life because there is an empty tomb. You're forgiven. For the sinner here today who may just simply feel alone, you feel alone in your anxiety and your doubt in the struggle. Remember, remember his promise. Remember his promise. I will not abandon you. I will not leave you alone. And I so appreciate what Tori said a while ago. He's making his comments. This right here, if you just look around you this morning, this is the proof that he has not abandoned you. He's put people in your life and around your life as proof of his faithfulness. And church, we're called to live that out for each other in the day-to-day. And finally, I would say this, ending with what Samuel ends with. For the sinner who's here today, and you refuse to acknowledge the, the, the peals of thunder, the warnings of judgment, the lightnings cracking all around you, and you know you're here, this is not the path that Christ has for me but you persist in your disobedience. You don't want to do what Christ compels you to do. You want to do what you want to do. The the warning is clear. Be warned of the judgment. And understand this, and just think through it from this vantage point. Your sin has never satisfied you. I can guarantee you that. It may have felt great in a moment, But in the end, you just feel empty and you feel the guilt. There is only one who can truly satisfy, Jesus Christ. And I encourage you today, call on him. Call on him.